All right. Hello, good people. Everybody doing okay today? Feeling good? Yeah. Anybody uh, clean off their driveway this morning? A little surprise dusting of snow. Uh, glad you're able to make it out. Caught me off guard a little bit, but I, I get here early, so I'm in plenty of time. I'm James, one of the pastors here uh, at Riverview. Um, for a long time, um, when it came to snow re- removal from my driveway, I was the proud shovel guy. Um, like, I love to bundle up and grab my shovel and, like, physically dig my family out of danger. Um, <laughs> And, um, and I'd grab one of my boys who all hated snow shoveling, um, by the way, they were like all hiding like in the basement when I would go get them and we'd go conquer this white beast together. Right. And we'd come in all sweaty and tired and drink hot cocoa. And just, there's such a feeling of accomplishment when you look out and you've cleared that driveway, like with your bare hands. I just love that. Now I'm the snowblower guy. Um, Happily, uh, by the way, 53 years old. So um, it's just so much faster and easier uh, to, to clear uh, snow with a snowblower. Now, for those of you, did anybody use a snowblower this morning? Anybody? A few people did, yeah? For those of you who have used a snowblower before, what is the, the key uh, to su- the successful snowblowing experience? Does anybody know the answer to that question? Getting it started, Getting it started? yes. <laughs> so the key is, uh, it's the wind, Right? So you got to understand the wind, um, assuming that you can start your snowblower. Um, you got to know which way the wind is blowing so you can turn that little crank and blow the snow with the wind, right? Um, and here's what I've learned um, there's always some wind, right? You may go outside and look and see, and it feels like, like this morning the wind was whipping pretty good. But sometimes, um, it's, it's like, uh, I had this a couple of weeks ago, I went outside and I just didn't know which way to turn the crank. Should I blow it to the right or to the left? And so what you do is you just start, right? You go down the driveway and then you see what happens. Like you go, and I had turned the crank to the right on this day. This was a couple of weeks ago when we had that snow and the, sure enough, the snow went up and then it sort of like was curving back to the left. And I was like, no, I want it to go like in, like the days when the wind is whipping hard and the snow like blows into your neighbor's yard, that's like good snowblowing day. Like it's just all just way away from my stuff, right? But this was like subtle and it was just curving. So then I turned the crank the other way and I, I did like the first half of the driveway and everything was going to the left. And I was like, this is great. Back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, crank, turn. And then I got to the halfway done and the wind switched which is like the nightmare experience when you're out there snowblowing. Because then it's like going up and it's blowing back onto the area I've already cleared, which is so beautiful and looks so nice already. And so what I always do when that happens is I ignore that. And I try to like will it to go the other way or hope the wind will swirl back. And, I, and eventually I, I, I was kind of resisting what was happening in front of me. And this big gust of like perfectly came up wind and the snow came out of the snowblower and the snow went up and curved around and went right on top of my head. Like I had snow in my mouth and my ears and it went down my shirt I literally had to go inside uh, and clean myself off and like press reset and go back out and feel the wind again and try to figure out how to clear off my driveway. And I, I, I was reminded of this truth. In order to have a successful snowblowing experience, you must recognize and obey the wind. Now, today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit 
the personhood of God who, like the wind, is invisible, often imperceptible, but inescapable, always present and active in the world and in the hearts and lives of every Christian around the world. And our roadmap for this discussion is, is going to be very simple. We're going to talk about who is the Holy Spirit, then what does the Holy Spirit do, and then thirdly, this is the question that we ask ourselves and each other all the time, how do we recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit so that we can obey and walk by the Spirit as we tackle the snow-covered driveway that is our lives, right? Now, before we jump in, let's stand together as a church family, as we've done throughout this series, and remind ourselves of the truths of the Apostles' Creed. Um, we're just going to say kind of the words of this creed here together like we've been doing throughout this. Everybody ready? Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So our section for today is, I believe in the Holy Spirit, right? Now, so for a Bible teacher, being asked to talk about the Holy Spirit for just 30-ish minutes is a bit like being a mosquito in a nudist colony. It's like, where do you start, right? There's just so much to do there. Uh, but we'll start with, sorry, those of you online with your kids, I apologize, but um, good luck with that one. We'll first take a look at who is the Holy Spirit. If you have uh, a Bible or a device to access one, uh, you guys are going to have to fight your way past that. Some of you are not... We'll go right into John 14 here. John 14 and 15. It, this, the context here is it's the last days of Jesus' life, and he's warning the disciples about what's going to happen, right? Peter is going to deny me. Judas will betray me. I'm going to get arrested and killed. And all of which has to be shocking and horrifying for the disciples to hear and so at the same time he's warning them, he's instructing them and providing them comfort. Here's how things are going to go. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you can uh, survive, carry on life after I'm gone. Yes, I'm going to die, but it's not going to last long. It's going to get really difficult, but I will be with you always, right? Make sure you keep my word and tell everyone you can about me. And then here in John 14, verse 16, uh, he says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth, 
the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Now, these three verses tell us a great deal about this question of who is the Holy Spirit. First, we see that he is God. This is a truth that is evident throughout the Bible. We don't have time to go through all the passages today. But just here in these few verses in John 14, there's strong evidence. Look at what Jesus says. He says, the counselor will be with you forever, which means the Holy Spirit is eternal. The Holy Spirit always has been, always is, always will be. And we know that only God is eternal. Way back in the second verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-2, it says, The earth was formless and empty. The darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. He was present at creation. The, the Hebrew word there for spirit is ruach, has a ch on the end, ruach, uh, which can mean spirit or breath or, or wind. And the Holy Spirit shows up hundreds of times throughout the Old Testament narrative, and it's often accompanied by wind or by God breathing. You remember even maybe in Genesis chapter 2, God breathing life into man. It suggests that that was the Holy Spirit at work. And if you read the stories in the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit, it'll be language like the, Holy, the Spirit of God came upon or spoke to or entered uh, Old Testament heroes like Joshua and Caleb and Isaiah and Ezekiel and David and Gideon and Samson. Over and over again, if you if you read precisely, you catch these sort of sightings of the Holy Spirit at work. Um, he was present and active at the birth of Jesus, right? He, he was speaking to uh, John the Baptist and John the Baptist's parents and Mary, the mother of Jesus. He was present and active at the baptism of Jesus. Remember, the Holy Spirit came down like hovering like a dove, Right, and, and then we see the Holy Spirit fulfilling this promise. Remember, Jesus here said, he'll be with you forever uh, in Acts chapter 2. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He indwelled, like it was wind, rushing wind and fire, and, and it was the presence of God um, moving into the hearts of believers. So he, we know the Holy Spirit is God because he's eternal. We also see here that he's part of the Trinity, all three members of the Trinity are present and active in their roles in this passage. It says, and I, that's Jesus, God's son, uh, God the son will ask God the father and he will give you another counselor, God the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the Trinity? Uh, again, that's a whole other sermon series. Um, our uh, creative team put together this graphic to uh, attempt to capture uh, the mystery of the Holy Spirit uh, that exists. You're welcome. This is your head. Like, how could I possibly understand this? But the idea is that we believe that God uh, is, is one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all three are fully God 
and they each have distinct roles and in a sense are not each other and don't function exactly the same way. And if you completely understand that, you are much smarter than I am. That's why we trust God and believe in him. It's one of those reminders that his ways are indeed not our ways. But the Holy Spirit is God inside of the Trinity. Uh, He's eternal. And then we also see in this passage that he's omnipresent. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. He remains with you. He will be in you. Three different times he says that to the disciples. It's the supernatural ever presence of the Holy Spirit. He seems to be in all places at the same time. It's not like he's moving from one believer to another and kind of like, where is he today? You know, I mean, and there's like a Google, you know, find the Holy Spirit. Um, it's, it's, he's fully present inside all believers and active in the world at the same time. Uh, David described it this way in Psalm chapter 139. He's talking to God. He says, you have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. He's like, I'm saying things that I can't even understand. It's lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, which would be kind of impossible to do, even your, there, your hand will lead me. David is just in awe at the omnipresence of God. He's like, your spirit is literally everywhere, and it just blows my mind. So when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we're acknowledging that he is God, and then we're also acknowledging that he is a person. He has a personhood. Now, not in the same way that Jesus became a person. He became, he, he was God in the flesh as a human being. Um, but you'll notice we're not asking the question, what is the Holy Spirit? We're not referring to the Holy Spirit as an it. It's who is the Holy Spirit. It's a person. Jesus tells his disciples he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He refers six different times to him as a person. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. You do know him because he remains in you. And this makes sense because the Holy Spirit, being fully God, has all of the characteristics of God. And God is personal. We people are created in God's image, which means he has sort of that nature that we do in a sense as there's a, there's a personhood to him. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is our counselor. And um, I was interested in that video there that we were watching about the side-by-side um, this, this idea of uh, a counselor, you know, when you sit down with someone who's your counselor, there's an interaction, right? That, that person has a, a thoughts and a, and a will and an emotion and, and, and direction, right? Uh, he, he, the, the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comforts us. In Ephesians, it says the Holy Spirit experiences grief. And in Romans, it says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, prays for us when we don't have words to pray. There's a sense that there's empathy there. There's a, there's a heart, there's a personhood to the Holy Spirit. When we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, 
we're saying that he is God, a person in the Trinity, ever present, eternal, and active in our world and in our lives. So what does the Holy Spirit do? What does that activity in the world and in our lives look like? Well, let's start with that word, counselor. The Greek word there is parakletos, which almost literally is side by side, which is the interesting, the name of this ministry that we talk about. It's really, we're emulating the work of the Holy Spirit by humanly sitting with each other. That's what parakletos, it's to, to call beside or to come alongside someone, right? And counselor is a good translation. Um, sometimes you'll see comforter or advocate. Uh, parakletos was the term for like a legal defense attorney in the Greek culture. Um, and it's sort of this Holy Spirit coming close, like closer than we can imagine, close as the air we breathe, like intimate with us, inside of us, if we are followers of Jesus. That's what Jesus said earlier. He's gonna be in you. He's gonna be with you. He's gonna remain with you. There's just no, like David said, there's, you can't, where can I go from his presence? Nowhere. And that presence um, brings us comfort and help and counsel. And he advocates on our behalf. He's counselor, comforter, advocate. The, uh, Jesus also said that he reveals truth there. In, in, in the passage, he refers to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. Later on in John 16, 13, he says, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth. Now, this is really important. God is the author of all truth. He is incapable of falsehood or lie. That, that's Satan's world. Satan is the deceiver. He is the father of lies. In fact, in John 1, uh, it says that Jesus, when he came, when he dwelled in the flesh, he was full of truth. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the truth. And because God is truth, we also know that God's word is truth. In fact, you may not have known this. The Holy Spirit actually facilitated the existence of, of the scripture in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Above all, you know this, no prophecy in scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible is the only book where the author of the book, God the Father, and the subject of the book, God the Son, Jesus, live inside the readers of the book, God the Holy Spirit, in order to help them understand the truth of the book. That's kind of cool. When we say the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, first and foremost, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. If you read those passages in John, is to point people toward Jesus because he is the truth and to help people understand the truth and wisdom of his word so that they can then obey it, right? Now, the Holy Spirit has other roles that are mentioned in the Bible beyond this John 14 passage, I mentioned earlier in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, it says the Holy Spirit prays for us, intercedes in prayer for us when we can't find the words ourselves. 
In John 15, 26, it says the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. He is a witness to the world of the good news of Jesus Christ. In John 16, 8, it says the Holy Spirit convicts the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Maybe you've had that kind of interaction yourself with the Holy Spirit where it's like, man, this conviction was unmistakable. That was the Holy Spirit in your heart. In John 16, 14, it says the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus in everything he does by declaring the truth of who he is. And again, we talked about this earlier, and Pastor Noel shared this a couple weeks ago when he read that passage in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit lives inside, indwells all followers of Jesus. In fact, in Ephesians, it says that he is the seal of promise for those of us who are in Christ, knowing the Holy Spirit's inside of us. That Acts 2 passage is worth reading again. Suddenly, the sound uh, like that of a violent, rushing wind, right? It's that ruach, the breath, the spirit, the, the, the wind of God came from heaven, and it filled the whole house they were staying, and they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that is a lot of uh, work things that the Holy Spirit, I think we have that whole list, the slide, maybe there it is. The Holy Spirit is a busy dude. All throughout the world at all times, actively an agent in the, 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 the world at large and then living uniquely inside of every single Christian person all at the same time. The, the impact of the Holy Spirit is honestly beyond our comprehension. It's just incomprehensibly massive. So why does this matter to us today? Well, imagine for a moment your life is a, a driveway enduring a Michigan, you know, snowy Michigan winter, and the snow represents all the weight that we face in life, right? The weight of responsibility or the weight of tricky relationships or the weight of sickness or the weight of sin and temptation, right? We have all this different sort of stuff. And sometimes uh, there's just like a light dusting, right? And sometimes it just keeps coming to the point where you just, you're buried. Sometimes you got a good fork, you can see the weight coming. Sometimes like this morning, everybody came in and said, I was kind of surprised by that. It was snow. I didn't know it was guy. I didn't know that it's snow on the ground until I opened my garage this morning, right? But there's always digging to be done, right? Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, at Riv, honestly, our heart breaks for you. Because while the Holy Spirit is always present and active in our world, apart from Christ, you do not have the wind of the Holy Spirit living inside of you to comfort and counsel and guide you as you face the weight of the world, right? That's why here at Riv, we invite you to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. And if you're interested in hearing more about Jesus, we'd love to talk with you. Come to the info center. Come find me after the service. I'd love to share more with you, uh, anybody on our team, about the hope we have in Jesus, if you are already a follower of Jesus Christ, as you stand at the end of your snow-covered driveway, know this, you are not alone. 
You're never alone. The spirit of God is always present and active in your life. The eternal, omnipresent, Holy Spirit, God himself lives inside of you to counsel and comfort and guide you into all truth. And the question I hear a lot is, how do we know the difference between when God is speaking to us, the Holy Spirit inside of us, how do I distinguish between that voice? Sometimes people will say they feel God prompting them or nudging them or just had this sense that God wanted me to do something or say something. How do I distinguish between that voice and my own voice, right? My own wants and desires. It's like, is it like a sensation, right? Like, God, is that you or is that just the Indian food I had for lunch? You know what I mean? Kind of like, how does this, how does the Holy Spirit speak to us really? Well, look at what Paul says here in Galatians chapter five. This is verse 16. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, And you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. And so if you're conflicted in this way between wanting to do or think or say what God wants you to do or think or say versus wanting to do Uh, or think or say what you would like to do or think or say, then you're normal, (laughs) right? That tension exists inside of every believer. The Holy Spirit sometimes wants the opposite of what you want. When you're not keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, there's a a tension that arises there. So how do we know the difference? What do do we do? Uh, I love how Paul makes it sound so easy. He's like, just walk by the Spirit. All right. Check that box. Now let's just move on, right? Like you won't, then it's easy. But, but, but how do we know? Now, sometimes it's really obvious. We, we just know. Because that's what Paul says. This is in verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, And anything similar, I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so sometimes you step out into the driveway of life and you know which way to turn that crank. Like the wind is just whipping, right? And it's so clear in God's word. The works or deeds of the flesh are obvious, right? Should we participate in sexual immorality or idolatry or, or hatred or selfish ambitions? Of course not. You can see it. Sometimes we do uh, deliberately go against, right, the obvious direction of God's spirit. And usually we feel it pretty quickly. It blows back into our faces, kind of like obviously in a way. Sometimes it takes a little time, but that's chaos. When we know and we can see it and we're like, I'm going into the wind anyway, and God's blowing this way and I'm, I'm resisting, we end up creating chaos. I, um, a little while ago, I had a person that came in and generally when people ask me um, for input into their lives, they already have like 95% of their direction determined, okay? 
And so I always ask them, you know, is, does, what I, does it matter what I say to you? <laughs> you know, is, am I here to really help you? And this person came in and they were like, I've met this gal and she's, um, you know, interest, I'm interested in pursuing a relationship with her. And I'm like, oh, yeah, how can I help? You know, nothing like that. And then it was, um, well, it turns out she's already married to another person. And I'm like, well, the sense that you have inside of you that you should do this is not from God. <laughs> this, is, this is clearly obvious, right? There's no, and they were talking themselves into it. You know, maybe it's, I just feel, this, and I'm like, that's fine. I think that's just what you want, right? And this is clearly, you see, what, see how sometimes it's just pretty clear. But then we have decisions and situations and people that we encounter on a day-to-day basis where it isn't so obvious, right? Most, maybe even moments in our lives, we don't have necessarily an objective biblical truth or command or promise for the Holy Spirit to guide us into, right? Should I take this job or that one? Or I see a conflict emerging, should I step in or should I step back? Or my mother is driving me crazy and I, you know, whatever, you know, we, we, these aren't necessarily deeds of the flesh, they're like more nuanced. Some of your mothers are driving you crazy, apparently. I saw those looks. Um, they're more nuanced, kind of walk-in-wisdom type moments, right, where you could be doing a number of different things and none of them would be sinful. There's multiple potential right pathways. And so when you walk outside to clear the snow off of those kind of driveways, oftentimes it just seems dead calm. You're like, God, speak to me about this. And it's like, I don't, I don't see anything hear clearly in the word of God, there's no apparent movement, or you're, worse yet, the wind is swirling, and it's like, is that God speaking, or is it my voice, or am I doing, you know, how do we know? Look at what Paul says here. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. He says, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I love that. If you want to know God's will for you for sure, then rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in everything, okay? Then he says, don't stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. So as we attack each day, the starting point for for what Paul says here is we rejoice, we pray, we give thanks, always, constantly, and in everything, We have this sort of ongoing, continual posture of sort of just dialogue and interaction with the Spirit of God who is living inside of us, ever mindful of his presence and his power and his desire to guide us into truth. We start there, and then he says, don't stifle the Spirit, don't despise prophecies. Prophecies is just truths, right? And test all things. So there's a way to be under sensitive to the Holy Spirit where you stifle the Spirit or resist or despise something that's actually true. And then there's a way to be over sensitive to the Spirit where you fail to test something and you think it's God speaking, but it's not. That's kind of what he's describing there. So in life group this week, we talked about situations uh, like this. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like maybe the Holy Spirit was speaking, but you weren't sure if it was God's voice or your own? And everybody was like, oh yeah, I've had that happen. And so it was interesting. All of the examples that were given, 
just in this group that we, we have there, was I felt like I should or that God was telling me to help this person in a specific way, but I wasn't sure if it was God or if it was me. They were all situated, the specific situations. Um, I was feeling like I should bring that hurting person a meal. I was feeling like I should give this stranger in distress a ride. I was feeling like I should put my arm around this, this young man who has obvious cognitive deficits. See, it was these real life situations. And so if those moments are God nudging us, well, we don't want to stifle the spirit, right? We, so we need to test it. We test all things. That's what Paul says. So how do we test something? We test it first against the truth and wisdom of God's word. The gal is married to someone else. Doesn't pass the test. Go the other way, right? This situation, the ones, the examples people gave, um, there's really no problem there. I mean, they're all about loving your neighbor, serving other people, caring for people on the margins. That's everywhere in the Bible. That fits with God's heart, right? Okay. Then we test by using the wisdom of the saints, right? So I don't know if you ever had this happen, but um, it's a good feeling when you're like halfway, like shoveling your driveway and then like two of your neighbors come over and they help you finish, right? Or when you go do that, I like to do that. I like to just take my snowblower just down the sidewalk and then just do the guy's driveway next to me too, you know what I mean? And just there's this sort of like uh, easy thing where we're trying to process all this stuff on our own. We are around other people who are filled with the Holy Spirit as well all the time. And let's it just, if, if um, I, I have this happen to me a lot, uh, people say, well, you know, here's my situation. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, that doesn't seem wise. Uh, but there's no Bible verse about that. And so then I always ask, well, what are the wise people in your life saying to you about this? And they're like, oh, they all think I'm crazy. And I'm like, well, you know, um, that's something, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and so it's like that side by side, just another, a second person just brings so much wisdom and perspective. And especially when they're not in the middle of the situation that we're trying to figure out, right? So what do other men and women of faith who are also filled with God's spirit, what do they think? And then we test by going. We test with God's word. We test using the wisdom of the saints and we test by going. It says walk by the spirit, live by the spirit. We can be so caught up in our own thoughts, just go. <laughs> Once you've passed through these kind of first two filters, sometimes we can't see the way the spirit of God is moving until we push the snowblower out into the driveway, right? You might take action and then you realize every step I take, it's, I thought it was blowing this way, but look at that. It's going over here, right? I'm just covering the part that I've already cleaned or it's up in my face, you know? Whatever it might be, you may need to pivot. And from my view, this is just James talking, it's way better to make every effort to walk by the Spirit and then pivot as needed as you go than to be paralyzed by indecision. And then, you, then the person who needed the ride or the opportunity to do the meal or the person that you could have put, those moments, they go by, right? I have that happen to me all the time. It's like, oh, we should give to that. And if I don't write it down and then like run to my phone and call Laura and say, I want to do this, and then we just execute, then it's gone. And I think we miss sometimes those little moments where there's opportunities to just love like Jesus. When we say we believe 
in the Holy Spirit, we are saying we believe in God himself, one of three persons in the Trinity, omnipresent and actively at work in our world and in dwelling in the hearts of all who trust Jesus in order to guide us into all truth. And if we believe in the Holy Spirit, if we really believe that, let's walk by the Spirit. Let's walk by the Spirit so we can guide others into truth, provide comfort for those in distress, intercede for others who are in prayer, and glorify Jesus in everything we do. Let's stand. I'm going to have the band come back up on the stage. We are going to sing some more truth together and point ourselves as a church family towards Jesus. Um, I'm going to close our time uh, by reading uh, Paul's conclusion statement here in Galatians 5, and then uh, we will sing some more together. He says, Now the works or deeds of the flesh are obvious. And those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen.